0: Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Kendall tonight. And our topic is, How the Lord Communicates. We're following on on a topic from last week about no one ever spoke like this. And thinking about how does the Lord communicate. Uh, On the one hand, when you think about the Lord being divine truth, you would think, well, surely there's communication radiating at us all the time. And and I'm sure that is true. But, and you could facetiously say, you know, if you believe in the Lord, you say, how does the Lord communicate? You'd say, well, divinely well. That's a safe answer, right? Um, But how does he communicate? And it's been striking me that he communicates quite indirectly. You know it's sort of like somebody going to their parent and saying um, something like you know how should I figure out what I want to be when I grow up and the parent says well there was a little mouse named Juju and you know it's like you know that's sort of the way the Lord communicates with these parables with these stories that don't seem to be on topic that's what I mean by indirect now why so we'll explore that he did this and try to examine why he did that. So I invite you to join us, good friends. Let's open with a prayer, shall we? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth. You are the word made flesh. Thank you, Lord, for bowing the heavens and coming down into this world, being resurrected out of it. And please, Lord, open the pages of your word to us so that we might understand you and what messages you have for us and that you wish us to carry to others. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Sending love out to those of you who are online and getting the audio and this other audio I forgot to turn on. And uh, (laughs) we're in good shape tonight. And um, so how does the Lord communicate? Let's read a little bit about what this Bible study is, in case you're unfamiliar with us. The Spirit and Life Bible study looks at the Bible through a Swedenborgian lens, meaning in alignment with the teachings of Immanuel Swedenborg, born 1688, died 1772. The name Spirit and Life comes from Jesus himself, who says that his words are spirit and they are life. John 6:63. 6, spirit, which we take to mean that his words have a spiritual and heavenly meaning and purpose, and life which we take to mean that his words are alive and aim to bring us to life by teaching us how we are to live if we wish to become spiritual and heavenly ourselves. And since we're told that Jesus is the word made flesh, John 1, 14, what he says of his words we take to apply to all the words of the Bible. They all teach who he is and how we can get from the life of hell to the life of heaven. So thank you for joining us, good friends. How does the Lord communicate? Let's begin in the Gospel of Matthew because there's an important statement there. So that's the first of the Gospels. We're going to Matthew chapter 13. And uh, let's start with verse 34 because this kind of cuts to the chase here.
1: All these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables, and without a parable he did not speak to them.
0: Wow, okay. So you hear that? He said everything in parables, and he didn't say anything that wasn't a parable. Okay, so what is a parable? Well, a parable comes from the Greek parabole, which means something that is put alongside. Something else the bale means the put and the para means alongside so it's two things that are so, sort of put side by side So when you think about Jesus parables, if you're familiar with those um, They're They're not They're not Outwardly true stories if you see what I mean like they they have a made-up element right they he doesn't say there was someone who who did this or that the other thing it's like there there was a king and he wanted to have a feast or so you know um they're fabricated but they're not fabricated like well you know the moon blew up and there was a mouse inside it and the mouse started speaking in greek or something you know Uh, they're they're very plausible realistic stories they're not made up bizarre stories They're about very concrete things, what people do with their, you know, farming or politics or or things like that. Those are the kind of stories that the Lord tells. Um, But they're very clearly a story with a message. They're, you know, uh, even if you can't tell what, like they have a moral kind of thing. Right. You, you, you sense that about them, even though you can't always extract what the moral is. But it seems like, well, surely he's telling us this for a reason. He's trying to he's communicating something. And yet, why? Why would it be not only that he spoke in parables, but without a parable, he did not speak. You know, everything he said was a parable. Now, why would everything need to be a parable? We'll be contemplating that some more this evening. Uh, let's go back. I'd like to go back to Psalm 78. So if you turn to the middle of your Bible, roughly, that's where the Psalms are. And let's go to Psalm 78. Mm, this is an interesting Psalm. Okay, let's just start at the beginning there of Psalm 78.
1: Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth
0: okay so what is this This is give ear O my people that's interesting give ear O my people to my law incline your ears to the words of my mouth so this is going to be a communication that's why we would read this tonight this is going to be a communication and let's read verse two there
1: i will open my mouth in a parable i will utter dark sayings of old which Mm. we have heard and known and our fathers have told us
0: yes i'll open my mouth in a parable Huh. So the Old Testament, too, is communicating in a parable. I'll utter dark sayings of old. Is that what it says? In verse 2 there? Right. Okay. And so what do you see in this psalm, good friends? Uh, uh, what is this about? Uh, verse 13.
1: He divided the sea and caused them to pass through and he made the waters stand up like a heap.
0: Oh, well, wait, that's about the exodus, right? That's where the Lord saved the children of Israel from the land of Egypt and carried them uh, and the waters uh, parted and they were able to walk across on the dry land. Go on. Verse 14.
1: In the daytime also, he led them with the cloud and all the night with a light of fire.
0: Well, what's that about? Well, wait, that's, that's Exodus. That's when the they, they led the children of Israel with a pillar of, of fire by night and cloud by day. That's right. Go on.
1: He split the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink in abundance like the depths.
0: Oh, well, isn't that that story of when they were all thirsty and then, you know, Moses struck the rock and the water came. Out. In fact, there are two stories like that. The water came out and for, where are we getting to the parable? This is, these are all historical stories from the Old Testament. Where's the parable? And yet it labeled it very clearly at the beginning of the psalm. I'm going to tell you a parable. I'm going to open my mouth in dark sayings of old and then tells you the Exodus story. Now, wait a second. <laughs> what is going on there? Because a lot of people take the Exodus story as, you know, that I mean, it's important. It's, it's, it's literal history it's what happened to these people how could you say that's a parable how could you say those are dark sayings of old what's going on here and you see it goes on like that doesn't it Uh, go on verse 17 let's sing
1: but they sinned even more against him by rebelling against the most high in the wilderness
0: did that happen in exodus yeah yeah that's right they rebelled in the wilderness that's right
1: and they tested god in their heart by asking for the food of their fancy.
0: Yes, that was when they got so tired of the manna and they were complaining about, you know, we're so sick of this manna and we want something else. So the Lord gave them quail and everything. This is all just straight out of Exodus.
1: Yes, they spoke against God. They said, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Behold, he struck the rock so that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed.
0: Mm. And it goes on about this manna for a while, doesn't it? Uh, Look at verse 24. Oh, verse
1: 23. Yet he had commanded the clouds above and opened the doors of heaven, had rained down manna on them to eat and given them of the bread of heaven. Men ate angels food. He sent them food to the full.
0: Yeah, now that's cool. It never says per se back in Exodus that that was angels food. It's interesting. It describes it that way here. But the manna, you know, was was rained down from heaven every night. uh, And they would, uh, you know, pick it up and keep going.
1: He caused an east wind to blow in the heavens. And by his power, he brought in the south wind. He also rained meat on them like the dust, feathered fowl like the sand of the seas.
0: These were the quails that were brought up in the evening. That's right.
1: And he let them fall in the midst of their camp, all around their habitations. So they ate and were well filled, for he gave them their own desire.
0: Yeah, and look at how it goes on. I mean, let's jump over to verse 51.
1: Uh, And destroyed all the firstborn in Egypt.
0: Oh, wait. Well, that's, we're still in Exodus, right? The firstborn in Egypt, we're still in Exodus. That's the story of how, how they escaped and so on. And uh, he led them out safely. He brought them to this mountain. In verse 54, that would be Mount Sinai. Was, wait. Well, this is just, you know, it, it's a you would say maybe a somewhat poetical. You know, when we're talking about angels, food, and so on. But it is just the story of Exodus. And yet, it's presented here as a parable. Now, there's two ways. I am. I guess you could read this, you could say, well, the parables aren't parables and they aren't dark sayings of old. So verse two is lying. Or the other way you could go is to say, wow, but that's a big implication that the entire book of Exodus and everything that happened, to the children of Israel was a parable. That was a dark saying of old. In other words, that was some illustrative story that we're supposed to get something out of. That's a dark saying of all that. That's a parable. Uh, that's, that's very interesting to me. Uh, let's go back to Matthew chapter 13, where we started out this evening. Um, just wanted to read that to show that in the even the Old Testament itself says about the Old Testament itself that it's a parable, that it's, those, are, those are dark saying, that everything that happened to the children of Israel There's more to it than meets the eye. That's the way I read that. Uh, Look at, um, let's start at the beginning of Matthew chapter 13.
1: On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea and great multitudes were gathered together to him so that he got into a boat and sat and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables. Oh, he did? Saying, behold. A sower went out to sow.
0: Okay, so he's got this multitude gathered there. You know, Matt, Matt put yourself in his shoes. I know we're not in his shoes, but uh, what are you going to tell everybody? Okay, so now you've got a crowd. What are you going to tell them? You're going to tell them, be good. That's what my father always used to tell me all through my childhood. Be good. You know, it's good advice, but he doesn't say that. They're all gathered there, and he says, well, a sower, oh, it's, it's story time doesn't seem to be about him it doesn't seem to be about them he he just is telling some story about some person who who went out sowing go on
1: and as he sowed some seed fell by the wayside and the birds came and devoured them some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth but when the sun was up they were scorched and because they had no root they withered away
0: okay let's hit pause there for just a second and say okay in verse 4 when some falls by the wayside which would be like some trampled area um, seed wouldn't sink in there I mean that makes sense right and would not it make sense that if seed is city I mean we've all seen that right that that if you have seeds out on the sidewalk or something the, the birds or squirrels or so, somebody will come and get it because there are seeds just sitting there. so it makes so much practical sense that these seeds fell by the wayside and the birds came and devoured them. And these stony places where they didn't have much earth, they, they sprung up, they sprouted quickly and so on. But when the sun came up, they were scorched and they had no root, nothing sort of, you know, they didn't have moisture or sort of an anchor that could keep them going through a tough time. And so they withered away. So this all makes a lot of sense, but the people must be wondering, but why is he saying that, <laughs> you know? It's just interesting, you know, what, like what's he doing? What's this story about? I don't, I don't get what it's about. Go on.
1: And some fell among thorns and the thorns sprang up and choked them.
0: Again, very concrete, very, you know, you can picture it in your mind that they fell among the thorns and the thorns sprang up and choked them, okay?
1: But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30.
0: And then what does he say?
1: He who has ears to hear, let him hear.
0: Now, this whole crowd of people, presumably almost all of them have two ears each. Probably some of them even work. Uh, What is he saying? Those who have ears to hear. They they all have ears. What's he talking about? So isn't that an amazing little story? Boom, 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 these four little things. And as he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then he's done. Thank you, everyone. Nice to see you. And so it's like, what was that? What, what just happened? You know? So that's what I'm saying. It's it's indirect. It doesn't seem like someone saying, Hey, I want you to be this way, or I want you to stop being that way. It's kind of third-party-ish, isn't it? Like, well, there was this person who did this and that and the other thing. I hope you can understand what I'm saying, and I wish you all a nice day. Uh, now, so what happens after that? Verse 10.
1: And the disciples came, to, came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables?
0: Yeah. See, and I don't think they're the only ones thinking of it. Like, <laughs> wh- what a missed opportunity, you know? You had them all here and you talked about some agricultural situation. You know, I don't understand what, you know, what, what are you doing? And so isn't that interesting? You know, why would you do that? Now listen to his answer
1: he answered and said to them because it has been given to you because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven but to them it has not been given
0: oh strange so he's speaking to the crowds in parables because the disciples know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven but they don't the, the people don't well why why not just tell them about heaven I mean. What about that? Go on.
1: For whoever has, to him more will be given, Mm. and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him.
0: Now, if I'm the disciples, I'm thinking, you're doing it again. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't he speaking in parables to them as well? Even though he just said, well, you know, you're in a different category because you know the mysteries of heaven. But he's doing it again what, what is he talking about those who have more will be given and they'll have abundance but those who don't have even what they have will be taken away uh, let's let's hear what he has to say next
1: therefore I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear nor do they understand
0: well that's a strange hmm is he saying they wouldn't get it if like if he said it straight up they wouldn't get it or something. Go on.
1: And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the heart of this people has grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their heart in turn so that I should heal them
0: well th- that would be terrible no what was so bad about that you know th- this people's okay they're dull of hearing their eyes they've closed so that they won't see with their eyes or hear with their ears or, or ears or understand with their heart and be converted and I would heal them it doesn't gosh so that would be so bad that you have to speak parables because unfortunately people would be healed if you didn't or something Uh, What does that mean? I hope to explore that in a little bit. Go on.
1: But blessed are you are your eyes for they see and your ears for they for they hear. Mm. For assuredly, I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it.
0: Mm. And then what's the first word of the next verse?
1: Therefore, hear the parable of the sower.
0: Hear. That's right. Hear. So now he says people are going to hear. So hear the parable of the sower. Okay, great. We're going to get an explanation. Okay, go.
1: When anyone hears the word of the kingdom.
0: The word of the kingdom. When anyone hears. Huh. Hears the word of the kingdom. Okay.
1: And does not understand it. Oh. Then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside.
0: Oh, so we had no clue back in verse four that we were talking about people, right? If you're unfamiliar with the story, would you think that he's talking about, in fact, he's talking about the people who are listening, you know, but they don't know he's talking about them. And rather than saying, you're thick, I can't get through to you, he says, there was a sower who sowed and some stuff bounced right off the you know, pavement. And uh, and they don't get that he's he's talking about them in that way. And OK, go on.
1: But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, hmm. but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles.
0: Oh, okay. All right. So this is another type of person. Okay. That makes sense. Go on.
1: Now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful.
0: Now, I would argue that, first of all, all this talk about the Word, it's significantly clearer than the original parable that he told. But we're still lost in imagery a little bit, aren't we? Because he's talking about hearing the Word. He doesn't explain what the Word is. He just talks about hearing it. Uh, What is the deceitfulness of riches? He doesn't explain that exactly. So the care of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the Word. And he becomes unfruitful unfruitful in what the once says. He still hasn't, you know what I mean, he's taken them halfway in, but he hasn't taken them all the way into, into the back room, kind of, you know, where, where the true meaning lies. It is still a little bit cloaked in what he's saying. Okay. And let's hear the end of it here.
1: But he who received seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces. Some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> so he said that before, didn't he? Some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. Didn't explain it. And then in the explanation, he says, that's people bearing fruit. 30-fold, 60-fold, you know. He still hasn't explained it. Like he didn't explain that part, which is fun. And what it reminds me of all of a sudden is that... Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Swedenborg's book, Apocalypse Reveal, good friends. But um, in Apocalypse Reveal, which is an explanation of the book of Revelation, the infamously difficult book, the book of Revelation is full of very strange and bizarre imagery. Imagery so bizarre that you can't even really reconcile it into a picture, like a tree that exists both in the middle and on both sides of a river at the same time. Or something that's full of eyes within and you know all that kind of stuff it's full of images that you can't even resolve into an image in your head and so it's full of bizarre imagery that has puzzled everybody for thousands of years they wonder what does that imagery mean we can't figure it out so finally Swedenborg comes along and explains the imagery in the book of Revelation in an amazing way to my mind but at the end of every chapter he includes a story of his spiritual experiences in which he presents new bizarre imagery and doesn't explain it. <laughs> now, there's something just beautiful about that to me. <laughs> it's sort of like I am both going to explain it and complicate it vastly for you, you know, and uh, <laughs> and the Lord sort of did the same thing here. He's, he's kind of explaining, but he's still sort of, you know, thirty, four, sixty, 60, hundred. What? I don't know what that is. What, what is that? It's just great. And what happens next in the text?
1: Another parable he put forth to them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field.
0: Okay, well, now, at least this time, like with the parable of the sower, we just jumped in. There's a sower, he's sowing. We have no idea what the topic is with nothing. So at least you get the kingdom of heaven here, right? So the kingdom of heaven is like, okay, so we don't know what the kingdom of heaven is, uh, but we'll at least be told something that it's like. So it's, again, it's like somebody who sowed, okay, go on.
1: But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. Hmm. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them.
0: Hmm.
1: Let, bro- that, let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn.
0: Okay, parable number two, next verse.
1: Another parable he put forth to them. Parable
0: number three, okay.
1: (laughs) Saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches.
0: And you notice that these parables are the kingdom of heaven, which you might, you know, be justified in thinking is sort of a static thing, is likened to these very dynamic things going on. You know, why Why is the kingdom of heaven likened to these very dynamic th- things? In, in what sense is the kingdom of heaven like that? Okay, go on.
1: Another parable he spoke to oh. them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened.
0: Okay. So the stories seem to be getting briefer and briefer here, and they're not explained. It's really amazing. And then we got our verse 34, all which these we read things, at the beginning.
1: All these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables, and without a parable, he did not speak to them. Mm. And why? that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world.
0: That is Psalm 78, verse two. So the text explains what he's doing. Isn't it interesting that it refers to David as the prophet? It's in the Psalms, not the prophets. It's interesting, says, as the prophet said, I'll open my mouth in parables. Other things that have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. And uh, this th- the Lord's doing this was a fulfillment. Of what this text is calling a prophecy. In the Old Testament. But we just read that prophecy and it sounded an awful lot like a story about something that already happened in the book before. I didn't know. What do you mean that was a prophecy? That was all about Exodus and the the children of Israel, and the rock and the water and, and, and all that, the firstborn. And so, and yet this is Jesus is fulfilling that prophecy. Okay, verse 36.
1: Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field.
0: Okay, so they got an explanation of the parable the sower now they're back on parable number two. We had two more after that, but they're still stuck. Among. What was that tear? So they were sowing and somebody can't see. But, I should, you know, just explain that to us. Go on.
1: He answered and said to them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man.
0: Now, see, even in the explanation, the way that this works, <laughs> uh, the explanation is a parable. All right. Uh, you, you don't escape because it just said it just said everything he said is a parable. So you got to watch it when he explains something, you're getting another parable for the parable. It might move you a little closer, but you're not out of parable land. Otherwise, why would it say verse 34 that he said everything in a parable? Okay, go on. Oh, and by the way, he doesn't say, I am sowing divine truth right now. He says, he who sows good seed is the son of man. Well, what's, what is, we don't know what that is. You know, so that's what I mean. We're still in parable mode. Okay, go on.
1: The field is the world. Hmm. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. Hmm. But the tares are the sons of the wicked one. Okay. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. Hmm. The harvest is the end of the age. Oh. And the reapers are the angels. Hmm. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age.
0: Now, it's pretty impressive to me. I mean, that's such an absurd, almost profane thing to say. But, but like you ask the Lord the explanation and he can go right down the imagery. Boom, this is boom, that's that. Boom, 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 boom. You know, it's not like he doesn't know what he's doing or he's in a, a blind, you know, prophetic blackout or something. He knows exactly what he's doing. And you ask him what it is, and he'll say, well, A equals this, and B equals that, and C equals this, and A this equals that. And that's what it is. Boom, boom, boom. He can give you all the pieces right there. And then he explains it a little bit.
1: The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things, all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness, mm. and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth.
0: Okay, so let me ask you, is there a furnace of fire? Will there be wailing and gnashing of teeth? We're in parable mode. You know, we're still in parable mode, so we might be a little closer, but he's still in parable mode. And the nature of parables to me is that they are divine truth. I think it's true to say that the Lord communicates divinely well. He's not fooling around with us or something, but things don't, there's deeper layers to it. And so people, it's amazing reading this chapter that says straight up, everything he said is a parable. People still can't help thinking there's a furnace of fire. You know, there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, they still think there's going to be literal fire and you're going to get physically burned or something you know it's amazing you, you just can't help it people go right into that mode okay uh, look at this verse 43
1: then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father and then
0: what does he say at the end of his explanation
1: he who has ears to hear let him hear yes
0: i submit this as Piece of evidence number a for (laughs) a is not a number, but I know. But uh, look at that. He tells a parable and then he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then he gives the explanation. And at the end of the explanation, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, which is basically saying, hello, still in parable mode, haven't left parable mode. Okay, still with me. So that's really amazing. And verse 44, what does he say to the disciples?
1: Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure (laughs) hidden in. He he can't
0: shut it off. He can't shut it off. Go on.
1: (laughs) Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Okay. Again, the kingdom of heaven (laughs) is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who when he has found one pearl of great price went and sold all that he had and bought it
0: this is exactly like swedenborg adding all those mysterious you know isn't it like please tell us what that means so he tells them what it means still in somewhat cryptic language says at the end he who has ears to hear let him hear and then for free throws in three or four more parables <laughs> he just, it's just great go on <clears throat>
1: Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a (laughs) dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, (laughs) which when it was full, they drew to shore. And they sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. Mm. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There it is again. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth.
0: There it is again. And then this beautiful punchline. Don't you love it, friends? Verse 51.
1: Jesus said to them, Have you understood all these
0: things? Yes, the $64 million question. Have you understood all these things? I just gave you an explanation, followed by three or four more parables that were brief and punchy, and, uh, you know. And have you understood all these things? And they say...
1: Yes, Lord.
0: (laughs) Yes, Lord. Good going, guy. That's right. Yep. (laughs) And so what does he say in response when they say yes. (laughs) Yep. Got it all. Thank you. Transmission complete. What does he say in verse 52?
1: Then he said to them, therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old.
0: Yeah, so you got that, too, right, guys? <laughs> <laughs> Which is more obscure than any of the other parables he's just told. And then what does it say in verse 53?
1: Now, it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables. Finished
0: these par- you see, we, The whole thing was parables all the way through, right? And so I just you've got to love the disciples, you know? <laughs> Have you understood, I love the fact that he asked the question, you know, have you understood all these things? Yes. (laughs) I I guess, you know, you don't want to hurt his feelings, you know, Um, (laughs) just, just amazing. And what an obscure thing that he says at the end there, everyone is instructed in the kingdom of heaven. It's like someone brings out of his treasure, things new and old what is he what is he saying it's just magnificent okay so he it's its relentless parables it's just a wonderful chapter for all that isn't it one more story I wanted to read along those lines Matthew chapter 21 it's nice where you know I mean Matthew 13 is a one-stop shop for a topic like this <laughs> um chapter 21 now uh the disciple, the chief priests and the elders have been challenging his authority in Matthew 21 verse 23 and uh, and then he tells them this parable Hmm. let's start at verse 33. We'll just read one more parable here.
1: Hear another parable there was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it dug a wine press in it and built a tower and he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country
0: Now he labels it a parable but it's just like the parable of the sower you don't know what the topic is we just we just jump right in there right
1: Now when vintage time drew near he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit and the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. Again he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did likewise to them. Then last of all he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance and they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him therefore when the owner of the vineyard comes what will he do to those vine dressers now
0: this is an interesting one where a parable ends with a question here's the here's the scenario what's he going to do and they
1: they said to him he will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their seasons.
0: (laughs) That's really interesting because it's a parable about them and what they're doing to him. And he asked them, so what are they, you know, what's going to happen to them? And they said, oh, they're wicked. They'll be destroyed. It's really amazing. What a conversation, you know. that's just amazing. And then Jesus says in verse 42.
1: Jesus said to them, Did you never read in the scriptures, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder.
0: Mm. And verse 45.
1: Now when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking of them.
0: Yes, they perceived that he was speaking of them. Yeah, they, they figured it out. So there's a parable that had quite a clear implication for the very people who are hearing it. And by the end of the story, even though halfway through, they seem to not get it. And they sort of played right in, just like David, you know, King David, when the prophet Nathan told him a a parable about what he had done. And David did the same thing. He said, oh, you got to, you know, that was a really bad thing. And um, those are very illustrative stories, very interesting stories. Uh, They perceived that he'd been speaking about them. Okay, so the time has come to talk about this a little bit. Why, why would you speak indirectly? Uh, you're, you know, why not just say straight up, like when he's talking to these people, why is he still, you know, he's directly addressing people who are the problem. But he's talking about someone else in this leasing situation and the fruits of something or other, and you know it's still in this indirect mode. But I think the right goal was achieved at the end there, where they perceived that he was talking about them. He he didn't say I'm talking about you. They just oh wait a minute, you know they figured it out. So they sort of got inside the story and they figured out. What was going on. I think that's part of the purpose of these stories. And the Lord said before there about, quoted Isaiah and said, people hear and, you know, but they don't, you know, they have ears, but they don't hear. They have eyes, they don't see. They have, they have minds they don't understand, lest they should turn and I should heal them. they be converted and I should heal them. Uh, why would that be so bad? Uh, the, um, have you, Uh, I don't know, there are various examples from from life. Uh, If you're going quickly in the highest speed lane on a highway and someone pulls up behind you very impatiently right on your bumper and flashes the lights, uh, do you have the instinct to slow down or slam on your brakes? I think it's a general human reaction of like, you're not pushing me. I don't know if any of you have had the blessing of interacting with a two-year-old. Do they, if you say, don't go out the door, what's the most likely action that they will take? (laughs) Right. And do we have inner two-year-olds in ourselves still? Is there something perverse in the human spirit where if somebody says, like if somebody said to you, you can eat the fruit of any of the trees but not that one, (laughs) which one are you likely to want to eat? You know, it's part of human nature that we want it. Whatever's forbidden. We just have this perverse nature. If God himself came down in all his glory and told you, you really need to cut that out, what you're doing is not right. You know? you you would you would fight him wouldn't you <laughs> when you wouldn't you just say oh i don't know it's not so bad or you know you talk back most likely right he's got a bit of a challenge dealing with this human race here it's very interesting to me that Swedenborg says, now this is several, we're already several leaps in here, aren't we, friends? So take another leap with me if you will. Swedenborg says that there's such a thing as life on other planets. And he says that people on other planets don't have this same wonderful uh, resistance that we have to divine messages. Uh, he says that on other planets, the Lord can just instruct people and, and tell them things, and they, and they do it. It's amazing. <laughs> But he knows we, we aren't wired that way. You know, we, we don't do that. We don't take direct instruction. You know, like we're not very receptive of the direct approach. I remember someone sitting me down years ago and saying they had a problem with my behavior. But what was my reaction to that? I disliked that person, you know, (laughs) I I didn't change anything, but I didn't like that person. You know, Uh, they were trying to help me and they were absolutely right about what they said. Um, This this is our nature. So so the Lord's got to deal with the human will. And so it's very interesting that he does an indirect thing. I mean, even, you know, when you love the word and you love the Lord's commandments and all that kind of stuff, it seems so powerful. But really even commanding is is a pretty weak you know i always think of that scene from um uh, faulty towers uh (laughs) awful show i don't recommend it but but uh, faulty is saying to his wife there's something they've collected these belongings from someone who the wife has figured out it's just uh trash in the suitcase but the husband thinks it's valuables and he's actually loaned the guy a bunch of money against it. It's a con trick and everything. And so the wife is going to open up the vault and see what's in the suitcase. And at every step he says to her, Sybil, I forbid you to go back in that room. And then she goes right back in there, Sybil, I forbid you to open that safe. You know? Then she opens the safe. And then he says, Sybil, I forbid you to get that case out. She gets the case. Out. I forbid you to open that case. She opens the case. It's a wonderful scene. you know. Uh, that's sort of how. And then as soon as he sees that it is just bricks in there, then he then he changes his tomb. Um, how is the Lord going to try to get a communication to us, even commanding things? Uh, where's the teeth? What's the enforcement? He can say, if you don't, you will be unhappy. I mean, you know, even the commandments are pretty hands off. You know, I mean, they're, he, he puts them out there, but it's not like he's forcing you. You know, if you think about who God is, he I know you have to suspend the laws of order and all that kind of stuff. But if you imagine the way some people think about an omnipotent being, couldn't he have just planted the right kind of ideas in our head in the, in the first place? Or couldn't he force, like why this cat and mouse thing, the parables and this very indirect thing. You think about the God, I mean, the the power I want to highlight for a second the the power of the spoken word. You know that in Genesis, um, you know, on the other side of the equation, the power of the spoken word in Genesis, everything in creation gets spoken into existence, right? That's how the people come about. That's everything is spoken. So in that sense, the entire universe is a communication of the Lord. You know, the, the whole thing gets spoken into existence. And there's this wonderful quote in Psalm 33. You don't have to go there if you don't want, but there's a Psalm 33, verse six. uh, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He, He spoke everything into existence. This is how creation came about. So God speaking is a very powerful thing. That's how everything got here. And when you think about that divine power and all the different options he had for communication to just create a little book, you know, for most people in a foreign language, you can't, under, you know, just leave the book over here. And, you know, if you want to read it, you know, you might find something of interest that, you know, it's pretty indirect, isn't it? Like you could have had, you could have done some giant divine sky thing, you know, some blazing story of repent, you know, across the, and no, it's, it's just in, in a book and you can read it or not read it. Nothing bad happens if you don't read it. It's, it's, you know, it, it's interesting how the Lord does this and he comes into this world and he tells us these, these little stories that we don't understand and then, then leaves. And if we ask for an explanation, he gives us a rather cryptic explanation that gets us a little closer, then tells us some more cryptic stories and then asks what the owner stood. And when we say we did, he gives us another cryptic story. And uh, <laughs> so what is going on here? One thing that's going on. So, so, there's, so there's human perversity. And the main thing, surely friends, right, is that he wants to have happen what happened to the Pharisees, the chief priests and the scribes there where we perceive something in the story where we you know, it's not God shouting at you with a bullhorn or something like that, waking you out of bed in the morning. Uh, It's very quiet, very indirect. And but you read it. And isn't it great? What's in this book? What's in this book? A story about people who lived long ago and far away. You know, (laughs) it's great. What a great thing. I'll open my mouth in parables and say dark sayings of old and tell some story about these people who lived a long, long time ago. They wandered in the wilderness and they drank from a rock and it doesn't matter, you know. You don't have to pay any attention. I'm just telling a little irrelevant story about people who lived a long time ago with strange and foreign names. Don't don't worry about it. You know, It's a soft sell, isn't it? So do you see what I'm saying? The Lord communicates kind of indirectly. There's a, there's a level of subtlety or something in what He's doing. I'm not saying he doesn't, you know, the Lord brings the rebuke and, and he, he does all that stuff. He, he, he has strong words, but you sort of have to be on board. Like the more on board you are, the more strength they take on. It's so much about the reception of it. There's one other angle that's a little difficult to talk about, but I'll try wading into this a little bit. Um, uh, Well, let me just put it this way. We might talk about this in another Bible study. um, You need to be ready. Didn't the Lord say in John 16, I have more things to tell you, but you cannot bear them now. He said that straight up in the text. I have more things to tell you, but you cannot bear them now he has some idea of what we can stand what came to me this morning i've thought a lot in my life about the genesis story and creation you know the general outline right friends that you get light on the first day first of all the earth is without form and void then you get light on the first day then the second day the waters are separated the third day you get the plants on the dry land you get some grass and herbs and so on like that then the fourth day finally you get the sun and the moon are created in the sky and then it goes on from there with the with the fish and the birds and the animals and finding human beings. It suddenly struck me today. That this is a picture, you see, without a parable, spoke he not to them. The Lord says, my words are spirit and they are life. The the way the Lord communicates is a spiritual thing. The word is about itself is a lot of what the word says that is about the word and about our reception of the word. Look at his parable. His parable was about a sower went forth to sow. What was the parable about? It was about our reception of the word. What are we doing when we try to understand the parable? We're trying to understand the word, right? I mean, we're in the we're already in the parable when we're when we're trying to figure it out. Um, Is it possible, friends? is my new heresy, I hope you like it, That, uh, that the creation story can be read as a gentle way in which the Lord leads us into an understanding of Him. From a physics standpoint, if you just take the story literally, you really have some trouble understanding how light comes before the sun. That's problem number one. Number two, you have a little problem, how plants grow when there's no sun, you know? How does that work, you know? You got plants before you ever see the sun, but when you see it as as uh, I I saw it today as being about uh, how the Lord gently brings us in. To the word at first, we're without form and void, we're like the seeds just go, bing. you know, they just bounce right off and evil spirits meant by the birds, you know, false thoughts, whatever, just just eat them, fly off with them. Nothing happens. But as we go along, we get a little more receptive. So the Lord can then show us light. But it would be too much. The sun would be too much, too early. It's too much, right? So just have some light. The Lord, you see, as you may have heard me say before, the Lord suffers from an infinity problem. He has an infinity problem. He really could be quite overwhelming if he put his mind to it. And so he's got a little problem of how to put something forward without totally annihilating us on the first word. You know, this is the person who spoke creation into existence. If he really opened his mouth, you know, our souls are going to melt. You know, we, we couldn't take it. So he, he builds us up, builds us up a little bit. Okay, so now you're ready for the light. I'll give you the light, but you won't be able to see where the light's coming from. You just see that light. And then you start to get that little grass. We talked about that a little bit in the, a few weeks ago with clear shining after rain, that the grass is about reception, it's about reformation and wisdom and knowledge, intelligence growing in ourselves. So you start to have something growing up in you. And I thought today for the first time that the grass, when you get to the grass phase is when you're ready to see the Lord. Like you get to that third day, you've developed enough of something. You've got some good ground by then, right? You've got good ground in yourself. Actually, the creation story and the parable of the sower follow each other very nicely. It's amazing the depth of what the Lord said. And um, so then you're ready for the point like, okay, I think you can take it. I'll show you the sun now, you know. There were only three disciples who got to see that while they were alive. You know, three went up on the mountain with him and saw him shining like the sun. It's not like everybody's just sort of ready to see that. You know, I hadn't thought about the creation story that way, but I think it's cool that the Lord leads us. It's a little picture of how he leads us in gently into the word and shows. And as we see more, then more and more things start growing in us and, and all that. But it, but it's gentle. The Lord is actually incredibly merciful and kind and gentle we could be blown away by what he says Uh, let's look at isaiah chapter four verse four real quick uh four, four verse five this will be our closing thought here
1: then the lord will create above every dwelling place of mount zion and above her assemblies A cloud and smoke by day.
0: Mm, This is a prediction about the future. There'll be a cloud and smoke by day. We already read about that earlier.
1: And the shining of a flaming fire by night. Mm. For over all the glory, there will be a
0: covering, a covering. This is so important, a covering over all the glory. You are a God who hides yourself over all the glory. There will be a covering. Without a parable spake he not unto them. Everything was wrapped so that people could buy in so that they could opt in because the danger that he was talking about uh, of hearing and turning and being healed was that they would then go back, you know, that they would be sort of halfway or they'd kind of buy into it and then they would dump it. And, you know, that story in Scripture about when one evil spirit leaves and the house is empty and it's all swept out and everything. And he brings back seven devils worse than himself. And the state at the end is worse than that at the first. That's what the Lord is trying to prevent. I don't have time to go into the meaning of that right now, but the Lord is trying to prevent something worse from happening if you're not ready. You need someone to move into that house. You need to be ready to see the sun, you know, you need to build up to the point where you have something receptive, where you have some soil, where you can start, to, oh, okay, you can take the word in. So that story is a story about how we receive the word. It's about how the Lord puts the word out. It's about how we receive it. It's so amazing. And I, the only part I disagree with in the story is I don't think the disciples actually fully understood what the Lord was saying but he thought it was cute that they said yes and uh, (laughs) because they were buying it you know they were they were getting on board and that's what the Lord is looking for that we buy in so there's something very gentle about just having the word this indirect communication about people long ago far away and then when you read it you go oh wait that's about me you know and the Lord didn't say it I didn't say it just a parable you know, but we go, oh, wait a minute. I think I can take that personally. I think there's something in there for me. And so the Lord can can work it that, that way. That's why I think the Lord communicates indirectly. It gives us the freedom to opt in. Thank you, good friends. Let's close with a prayer, shall we? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you had so much thundering power in yourself. All that truth, the power of your divine love to save the whole human race. What was it like for you to just speak those little parables, knowing that so few understood what you were saying at the time? And yet, look at us thousands of years later, we're still reading those words. We're still pondering the amazing things that you said. We thank you, Lord, for your word, for the gentleness. Thank you for the covering. And thank you for all that glory that lies behind it. Thank you for only revealing yourself to us when we're ready, when our soil is good and the grass is growing. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends. Maybe we'll come to understand the Lord better.